Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We sometimes call Jesus the great physician, and in good doctorly fashion, he comes to you and me today in this gospel reading, and he's got good news for you, and he's got bad news. And it's both the same news, which is this, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. In fact, this word is so important that he says it twice. It brackets the parable, the story that he tells. At the beginning he says it, and again at the end, inverting it just for emphasis. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And then he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This is Jesus getting our attention. And we ought to give it to him with this proverbial, upside-down, backwards wisdom of the kingdom. This is the way that God's kingdom works, Jesus says. This is how it operates. And then let me tell you this story to show you how it is. And in this story, and with this word, this proverb of the kingdom, Jesus is going to do a couple of things, both bad news and good news. The bad news is that he is going to cut down superiority and those bases of superiority that we try to establish for ourselves. But then on the other hand, he's also going to lift up inferiority and show that by his grace, what looks little and overlooked is very good in God's kingdom indeed. And both of these things, both the good news and the bad news, both the, the cutting down and the lifting up, all of it then is joined in Jesus himself. And so this morning, I want to read this story, return to this story, and see how he delivers some bad news and some good news, and how all of it ultimately is joined in him. But first, as you always say when you're asked, let's go with the bad news. <laughs> the bad news, that the first shall be last. There's an author, theologian, a guy by the name of Robert Farr Capon. And Robert Capon says that everybody, all humanity by nature, we are inveterate bookkeepers, he says. We're inveterate bookkeepers, which is a fancy way of saying that by nature, from the day that we are born, we're all tabulating rights and wrongs, ways that we have gotten short shrift. We're looking at our life and seeing, well, I didn't get the, a, a fair deal here. I got a raw deal over there. We're all really good at keeping those Records. While not all of us are accountants by our job, all of us are accountants in our hearts, is what Robert Capon is saying. And this is demonstrated easily enough. And I mean no offense to the kids in the room this morning, but has one kid ever had to be taught the rule of fairness? No, never. All of us know fairness just naturally. We're looking for, wait a second, how, how many Skittles did you get into your bag? That's not right. How many M&Ms did you get? Well, you got more brown ones. And as we all know, the brown ones taste better than the other ones. We all naturally are looking for things that are fair and more importantly, things that are unfair. It's not fair, we say. And so these guys say in the parable that Jesus tells, it's not fair. The first workers the ones who have, what, were hired at the, the earliest hour of the day, and they have sweated. They have toiled all day long, only to find out at the end that the Johnny-come-latelys, 
The ones who are hired not only for the shortest time, but also for the easiest time. They get hired at the 11th hour. They got to put in one hour of work. And what are they doing in that last hour? You know, kind of picking up something here and there, right? These are the ones like Pastor Tanetti who shows up at the end of the cleanup and says, oh, did you guys get everything already? Okay, cool. I'll just kind of shuffle things around over here and make it look like I'm doing something, right? And you have to admit, those guys kind of have a case. It doesn't seem fair, does it? That the Johnny-come-latelys at the end who work one hour, the easiest hour, that they should be paid and compensated the same as those who have worked all day long, the hardest shift, through the hottest time. It doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. Agreed? But of course, this is just Jesus' point, isn't it? That his kingdom is not going to operate by the ways that you and I typically reckon fairness. And as we saw with the story last week, the, the story of the unforgiving servant, if you want to live in a kingdom of fairness where you get your just desserts, go ahead. But listen, that's not good news for you and me. The good news is that God doesn't give to us what we deserve. And these first workers, they missed the big point. They seem to bury the lead, which is the fact that, as the master of the house says, hey, it's my generosity. I give to you as I will. And don't forget, I'm the one who called you in to work in this vineyard in the first place. The very fact that you are here and present is grace, is a gift. And so, no, it's not fair. No, I am overturning the ways that justice normally works. I am inverting the kingdoms of this world and instead instituting my backwards kingdom, Jesus says. The first shall be last. And not to put too fine a point on it, but deal with it. It's a hard word. This is some bad news for you and me to ingest because we are inveterate bookkeepers. And the comparison game it stops before the throne of the Lamb of God Almighty. Uh, commentator Jeff Gibbs, one of my teachers at seminary, he puts it this way. He says, before Christ, all comparisons are odious. Think of that word for a minute. Odious. Before Christ, all of those comparisons, all the ways that you and I seek to one-up one another, to show that I'm just a, a little bit better than my neighbor, that I'm smarter, that I'm, that I'm more spiritual, that I'm more committed, that I'm, I'm wealthier, that I'm poorer. <laughs> we'll look for anything in order to try and leverage ourselves against one another. But when we do that, we're living in that old kingdom, the kingdom where we think that our, our value comes from us being better than our neighbor. That's not where your value comes from. Your value comes from the gratuitous love of the master of the house. Your value comes from the king who calls you in, not because of your good deeds, not because of your merit, but by grace you and I are saved. This is, this is the epitome of God's grace, that we're received simply and solely at his choice, at his choosing, at his blessed receiving. But to receive that, to hear that, means that all comparisons are odious. And instead of looking around at your lack or your perceived lack, instead, you look to your Lord. You look to your Lord, 
the one who embodies for you and me this backwards wisdom of the kingdom, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. See, this parable ultimately finds its truth in Jesus himself, in his life, his death, and in his resurrection. Scripture calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of all creation. And when we hear these first workers in the vineyard, they sound like a firstborn that suddenly is seeing some new siblings show up and they're none too happy about it. They grumble and they say, wait a second, you have made these other ones equal to us. You know, don't I get a little bit of a, a benefit, a little bit of a bonus for being the first? Isn't there something to that? You have made the rest of these ones equal to us. But it's interesting, that word equal, it's echoed elsewhere in the scriptures to speak of Jesus himself. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The same word there in Philippians 2 that's used in Jesus' story. He did not consider this equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, but instead, what did Jesus do? He didn't climb the ladder, but instead, he went down. Jesus exemplifies downward mobility. Not a lot of people are into that. He shows that downward mobility where instead he is climbing down. Though he was the firstborn of all creation, he himself renders himself into last place, the ultimate last place of suffering, of shameful death down into the grave. Christ Jesus is the one who goes down in order to lift you and me up, see. And the Father did not let him languish in that last place, but instead took him up and put him on the top of the podium, raised him from the dead and said, this one is my beloved son, though he was the first and became the last. Now the last shall be first. See, it's true in Christ. He's the one who embodies that word. But he does it for your sake and mine. That firstborn of all creation, he became last in order to make you and me first. In order to make us his equals as his brothers and sisters before the Father. It's there embedded in that word we say maybe every day. Our Father, we pray. How can we pray that? Because Jesus has made you and me sons and daughters of God Almighty. Now he is your father as well because you are brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus. The firstborn has grafted, adopted us into the family of God and now has given to you this, this status, this identity as his beloved children. Jesus is the one who was first and became last and now he is the last who has become first. So that we're able to hear that word from him, this proverbial wisdom of the kingdom, not just as bad news, but also as good news, as the best news. Now, I hope that you can hear it as a promise. The last shall be first. They shall. That's a promise for you and me to cling to, especially in those times and in these days when you feel like you are down and the bottom of the totem pill, where you are clinging with a pinky to the last rung of the ladder, when it seems as though life doesn't matter and you are overlooked, lost, and last. This is a word to hold on to. 
makes me think of a story, a short story, and the story of a story. Bear with me for a moment. The story of the story is that it was written by a Christian, a committed Christian author from the last century. But this guy, he was toiling in obscurity. He was a, a professor of a language that nobody spoke anymore. They used to make fun of him. Why are you wasting your time with this? But he loved to write. He loved to, to tell stories, especially fairy tales and allegories, those stories where there's kind of like decoding to happen along the way. And so one of the stories that this obscure professor wrote is a story called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And in this story, it begins, there once was a little man called Niggle who had a long journey to make. Now this man, Niggle, he was an artist, but he didn't have a whole lot of time for his art, try as he might. He had within himself this grand vision. He, he was painting in his mind this beautiful landscape, these mountain vistas, and within the vistas there were lakes and ponds and streams, and he could see it all in his mind's eye that he would be a great artist, but all he actually got to was one leaf. <laughs> it was a beautiful leaf. It was a compelling leaf, but that's all Nigel was able to accomplish in his little life was one little leaf because he was so kind-hearted. <laughs> he was constantly putting himself last in spite of himself sometimes. He couldn't help but help out his neighbors, and they too regarded him as last. They would make fun of little Niggle for his artistry or lack of artistry, and they said, why don't you get a real job? Quit wasting your time. His friend, even when he needed his roof patched, Niggle helped him, and what did Niggle use to patch his friend's roof? He took from some of his own canvas in order to cover it up. This was just the, the kind of person that he was, always last, always overlooked. Well, this story, as I say, was a kind of allegory. And the long journey that Niggle one day has to make is, of course, his journey to death and to the afterlife. And this little man, Niggle, who had seemingly squandered his life only painting one little leaf while he was constantly helping his neighbor, giving himself away in order to lift others up while he himself was in last place, when he makes this journey to the far country, he's astounded to see what he finds there. He finds himself in this glorious countryside with these beautiful, awe-inspiring mountains and streams and rivers and rolling hills. And before him, a great big, glorious tree. And as he looks at that tree, he seems to recognize it. And as he looks more closely, he notices one particular leaf, his leaf, and he steps back and with astonishment he realizes that what he is standing before is the very picture that was always in his heart and on his mind, but that in his life he was never able to realize it fully because he was always in the last place. But now, now in his heavenly home, he is able to see that vision realized, that dream suddenly comes to pass. Now, that one who was last has been made first. And he steps back and throws his arms open wide, and all he can say is simply this. It's a gift. It's a gift. This is the word that you and I have to live by 
in our little overlooked last place lives. Too often we're looking at our lack and comparing ourselves against one another. And not only is this uh, commanded against in the scriptures, but listen, there's that old saying, comparison is the robber of joy. You've heard that before. You play the comparing game, not only is it wrong, it's dumb. Because you're only stealing from yourself. But instead, in Christ Jesus, now you have been made his delightful, beloved children. And now, now at the foot of the cross, indeed it is level ground. And we don't need to look to one another, but instead to our generous, gracious Lord. The one who has called you and me to serve into his kingdom. Without any merit or worthiness in us, he has summoned us to serve in whatever little ways we are able to. And in this life, maybe all you're able to make is one tiny leaf. And you feel like it's just, it's just been a waste. Couldn't I have done more? But I'm telling you, friends, a day is coming and it could be today. When you and I will make that long journey or our Lord will journey back to this place. And you and I will open up our envelopes of eternity. And we will step back with astonishment and say, it's a gift. It always has been. It always will be. Because the last shall be first. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.